the Women Changing the World podcast, a podcast on a mission to bring you some of the most amazing women I know who are doing incredible things to generally make the world a better place. From corporate sustainability to straight up magic and everything in between, you'll meet the real life humans who are birthing the new. I'm your host, Liz Best, and I'm here to amplify the stories and voices of women who are changing the world. Changing the World podcast, I am sitting down with Carrie Majewski, founder of Women in Leadership Nexus and Dordee. Carrie and I talked about so much stuff from how you can use futures thinking to reimagine your career to how we identify the Dordee moments in our lives and careers and what we do with them when we see them, uh, to how she came to have her own portfolio career filled with optionality and things you may want to consider if you're hoping to do the same. Again, we had a blast having this conversation um, and I hope you enjoy it as much as we did. episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. I am so excited to be sitting down today with Carrie Majewski. Um, she's the founder of Women in Leadership Nexus and Dordee. Um, and I'm just, I've chatted with her before and I'm, Carrie, I'm just so excited for our conversation today. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. It is my pleasure. Um, before we jump in, would you mind just briefly introducing yourself to our listeners? Yeah, so I I would say that kind of my whole story and narrative has always been around community building and really figuring out how to bring amazing people and teams of humans together to enact powerful change. So that's kind of like what motivates me. I've always found through my work ways to bring great people together and just think about how can we channel disruptive thought patterns and really enact the transformation that the world most needs so desperately right now. So I feel really fortunate that I lead an international women's association, the Women in Leadership Nexus. That's really all about that community and driving women's career velocity. And then I recently launched my newest leadership coaching program, which is called Door D, which is all around helping women find invisible career pathways. Ah, I love it so much. I feel like we were introduced by a mutual friend, Hannah Wells, who I hope will be on the podcast uh, soon or by the time this comes out may have already been on the podcast. Um, And I, yeah, I just feel like there's so much overlap in the things that we're passionate about. (laughs) We can talk um, all day about women, uh, women in leadership, women in community. um, And I'm super excited to talk in particular about invisible career pathways and how we can use futures thinking. Uh, as we think about our careers. Yeah, it's like the timing has just never felt more right right now for futures thinking and disruptive leadership models. And and then I love when worlds like ours collide. It's just, it's the best. It's, it's always what kind of lights me up is when we're able to find strangers across the globe that just, you know, do the same work and care about these macro movements that are so important right now. Totally, totally. And I think as challenging as the past couple of years have been, um, it has been a strange gift of this time that like, I feel like there have been, I've experienced and benefited from so many virtual collisions that like yeah. may have been coffee chats in another life, but may <laughs> not have been. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> I know everyone's just a zoom away now. It's great. <laughs> totally. Totally. Um, well, I have to ask, I'm I'm genuinely really curious what your answer to this will be, but because this is the Women Changing the World podcast, I always open with, if you could change one thing about the world, and I'm not a stickler on the one thing, but like generally one thing, um, what would be the one thing that you would really like to change? You know, I love the question. I love that you're making me choose one <laughs> because... <laughs> 
because there's probably like 10,000 I would love to discuss with you today. But I think the one that I always come back to is I want to see the literal eradication of toxic workplace cultures. Like I can't stand it anymore that there are these businesses that have existed from whether it's the dawn of time or there are new organizations, but in their fabric and DNA is just like harrowing leadership principles and, you know, corporate constructs that reinforce just disempowering of employees and keeping people siloed and not promoting psychological safety. And I don't get how these businesses still exist. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think what I'm so happy about is because of these movements, like the great resignation and the reinvention, people are saying enough is enough. Like I'm not going to tolerate these horrific workplace constructs anymore. And I love that, but I want to make sure that we're not just defaulting to an opt out in that so many, especially women are literally just saying, I'm walking away forever. I'll start my own business. And and that's great, but I'd also like to say that we don't, we shouldn't have to walk away. We should instead also make sure that these businesses are really being held to new standards um, because we need all types of workplace environments that light us up at the individual level. And I want to see them gone. <laughs> I want to see them have their day. Uh, totally. I love that. That's actually the first time I think we've had this answer on the podcast. Oh. Uh, and, but no, but I, I love it. And I think, you know, so much of what, brought me into the coaching space was feeling like I watched so many women land their dream jobs and Mm -hmm. then burn themselves out to a point where they literally just had to walk away. Um, And so it's so, I so appreciate that. And like the vision of what the world could look like if that was just no longer a thing, like what a concept. Right. I, I, I always thought about this elevator concept where, and I grew up in New York, so I think that's partly why like New York City office buildings are just like deeply embedded in my mind space. <laughs> but I always thought about like all these people in, you know, New York City office buildings that pack into the elevator, you know, back in the days at, you know, 8 a.m. with their coffee in their hand. And they're all going up on these floors and they're all getting off at different floors and they're walking into different offices. And the part that like always really upset me was maybe in that elevator, there's one person there who woke up with such excitement to get to go to work and be with their coworkers and be living, as you said, their dream job, right? In their dream environment. And yet the other 30 in the elevator are literally like physiologically not happy to be going to work. And yet they all work in the same office building. They're all in the same elevator. And and that's what I've always wanted to change is that I want the one person to become the norm and not the rarity so that incredible workplaces are what we demand and expect and that the rest of those businesses become obsolete because we won't tolerate it anymore. We'll walk away towards the good organizations. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I really do hope that some of what we're seeing right now is like a sign that we are headed in a direction yeah. where that, that will be the case. Um, yeah. Well, I'd love to hear a little bit more about Women in Leadership Nexus and like what the organization is, how it's evolved over the past few years. Yeah. So the Women in Leadership Nexus just turned five. And and it's funny, my why for starting it is really similar to that elevator analogy I just gave you in that I had, you know, kind of got thrust into leadership in my young 20s. And I was suddenly acutely aware of everything that we're taught to chase and then what happens when we get it, but it's not in a healthy environment. And I was kind of living this really strange reality where I loved my team that I was building. I loved a lot of the work I was doing, but I was in a really patriarchal, toxic environment. And it was so much so that I ended up moving my whole life. Like I switched states, I switched jobs, I left behind a job that I loved because I said enough was enough to the toxic construct. And I walked away towards an extraordinary organization with amazing leaders. And that move was a really big turning point for me because I started to think about how often we allow these kind of leadership landscapes to go untouched and to not be that catalyst that it so desperately needs. And that was one of my biggest whys for starting the Women in Leadership Nexus was I thought, are other women also experiencing this point in time where enough is enough? We're not just going to chase, you know, the corporate acceleration we're 
also going to demand better. And we're going to demand a business world that doesn't yet exist. And we're going to build it. (laughs) And so five years ago, I brought women together. It was super grassroots at the time. It was very hyper-local to where I lived. And we started doing events and seminars to bring disruptive leadership frameworks to these women to evolve our beliefs about the way in which we could enact change in the business world. And it just kind of grew year after year. It moved from just being a physically based organization to it's now international. We have members in Slovenia and Trinidad and Canada. And it's been so cool to see these kind of elite thinkers say, I want to come together regularly. And I want to not only drive my career forward or my business forward, but I also want to shake the business world because it's broken. And I want to know that I'm doing my part to fix it. So that's kind of what Nexus is today. We offer a series of trainings and seminars and community building forums in a digital first format so that our women are able to know that not only are they advancing and fighting for their careers, but they're fighting for change that will be at a global level. Oh my goodness. Well, that is so cool. Um, And congrats on your five-year business birthday. That's such a major accomplishment. (laughs) Thank you. It's, I don't know about you. I I have such a hard time actually celebrating and pausing. (laughs) So I'm always trying to lean into like smaller ways, just create pause now and moments because it's hard. Like, just like you, like would you do so many things? I don't know. Sometimes you have to just remind yourself, like it's human (laughs) to take a moment and uh, think about where you've been and where you're headed. Totally. I mean, I think that has been one of my biggest lessons in entrepreneurship is to celebrate all the small things. Um, And it can totally be hard to make the time for the macro reflection. And that's definitely something I'm trying to prioritize more of. But I feel like if you don't celebrate the small things, then they pass you by. And like the small (laughs) things are the big things. I know. I know. And then like when you don't celebrate, you get into this kind of cycle of just chasing the next and never really focusing on the present. So I think it's one of the biggest lessons even the last two years taught me and so many of us is there's so much to be grateful for at any given moment, despite such hardship constantly, you know, around us and in our lives. And if we can create even, you know, these tiny breaths throughout the day to just lean in, it's, it's such a restoring, you know, uh, component we can give ourselves. Totally, totally. But it takes so much reprogramming. (laughs) Yep, (laughs) it does. (laughs) We did an event actually in Nexus. It was... It was last December. You know, all of our events are online and they're all kind of experiential and very immersive. And it was about celebrating wins because it's hard to your point. Like this is, especially as women, we are not conditioned. It feels braggy. It feels like, you know, somehow we're giving ourselves a trophy, but how it's such a powerful part of just like how our brains are wired and how we find fulfillment and stimulation. And it was so interesting to get all these women together across the globe that we're all admitting like, this is hard. (laughs) It's really hard to celebrate ourselves, though we have no problem celebrating everybody else. <laughs> uh, totally, totally. And even like, I even, you know, one of the big things that we did in the, the last round of the Girls Club Mastermind that was a huge reframe for me was, I know you said like, it feels braggy, but we had like a whole yeah. brags channel and it was so yes. <laughs> fun to watch women who I know are amazing, who I'm so happy to brag about, brag about themselves. In a, it's beautiful. Yeah, in like a safe <laughs> space. So I love it. And I, I love that you had a whole like workshop on celebrating wins. I feel like I am here for that. <laughs> yeah, so we need more of it. <laughs> we really do. We really do. Um, well, I'd love to hear a little bit more about like what your current day-to-day looks like. Um, like what's on your plate? What's in your mornings, your afternoons, your evenings? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it's interesting. Like part of, I think the way that I've always wanted to disrupt the business world is by really leaning into optionality in that we can do a bunch of different things. And I think that was part of something I learned about myself years ago is I like to do a lot. (laughs) And I'm (laughs) someone who is a creator at my core. I get really kind of like I don't know, like I lose steam in the maintenance mode of things. So I constantly need to be in build mode and entrepreneurship. And I've really kind of assembled and curated my career where I not only run the Women in Leadership Nexus, I just launched Store D, but I also have an amazing uh, strategy and marketing career working for someone else's company that I also love. And I think part of what's been interesting for me in looking at how I spend my day and how I get kind of my fulfillment is normalizing optionality, both for me and for people I meet 
because, you know, the default questions I'll always get are, well, when do you do all of it? Like, do you do, is Nexus a side hustle or are you doing door D on the weekends? And I try to even through modeling back the world I believe in, remind people that those are old rules that we held ourselves to where especially for women, we've made them feel that other things should become hobbies or side hustles. And in fact, no, they're businesses. They're businesses that I run. I also work for someone else's business. And I love these pieces of me because it allows me to integrate so many parts of what gives me joy and stimulation and intellectual, um, you know, like expansion. And I hope that becomes the norm. Like I love seeing people that I run into or randomly collide with that are also choosing optionality and are also starting to lean into doing a bunch of different things. And you have to find awesome people, by the way, to do this with. <laughs> like you have to have amazing leaders that want your whole self at their organizations. And then, you know, the people that are in your community to also celebrate it for you. And I feel very lucky that I've been able to, to curate this, this career right now because I really believe this is the future of work. I believe it's going to be people saying yes to a lot of things that light them up and diversifying how they get that fulfillment because we're multidimensioned. So our lives need to be multidimensioned. Absolutely. Well, and as a fellow multi-passionate woman, <laughs> yeah. I, I that so strongly resonates with me because I feel like, yeah, part of like the, to me, the beauty of, of entrepreneurship specifically, but I, I think, you know, the career that you've curated for yourself as well is like, it's so nice to be able to say yes to so many different things that light me up that are not necessarily within the confines of one organization. Right. Um, and I am so curious if you are willing to, I, like I, you said, everyone asks this and I'm like, well, I kind of have to ask too, like <laughs> where, how do you find the time or make the time um, to do all the things? <laughs> yeah, it's, I think for me, it became easier when I decided to integrate. It was actually harder for me years ago when I started to think compartmentalized, right? Like I'd say, okay, Nexus will be on the weekends and my marketing career will be the nine to five. And, and it doesn't work like that. Like life, as we know, people want to meet when they want to meet and your teams need you at different times. So I try to just be really open with people in my community about there are a couple things that are really important to me, but also my work ethic is something that I'll never compromise on, meaning I, I know what needs to be given in those moments. I'm really good at self-calibrating to say, wait a minute, I really need to bring myself over here today. But the integration almost freed me in an interesting way of almost allowing them to all grow each other and benefit each other. So instead of siloing everything, if I have a call that's at 9.30 with, you know, someone in my Doorgy program, at 10 a.m. I'm hopping into my meeting with my team <laughs> at my technology company. And it's made it easier. I definitely make sure I do checks and balances like, if my team is ever saying things like, hey, your schedule looks really full, <laughs> that's, a, that's a radar, right? Like that's an alert to myself that my integration is not is not going in a in an equitable favor. So I try to be like super, almost like have a radar system that can go off. But then I also really try to lean into the notion of working the hours in which we're most naturally awake and ready to do our most important work. And for me, I'm a morning person. So I'm able to hop online and get a ton of stuff done for Doherty and Nexus before my team ever has woken up. Um, so I try to like balance that. But it's not, I don't think it's easy to your point. I think it's a choice you make to say if all of these things, you know, light me up and are important to me, then I have a responsibility to all of these parts as well, that I'm not letting the people down that are supporting this, this life that I've curated. And it's a responsibility I take heavily. Like I never, I know that this is, you know, a graceful opportunity and an opportunity that a lot of people don't get. So I try to just always be really honest with myself of making sure I'm available, making sure I'm present and making sure I'm willing to recalibrate the points of integration when they're needed. Uh, totally. Well, what a beautiful answer. I think having like that radar system built in to like, and I also love, I'm like smiling to myself because I feel like, yes, there is that moment when your calendar feels too full. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> and like when, when people cannot get time with you, it's like, oh, maybe that's a sign. It's a sign. <laughs> yeah. Like today was such an example where I had, you know, two meetings on my calendar with people that they're strangers, right? Like they're people that are in my orbit right now, but not 
you know, kind of core people in my, in my community. And I made a decision today and I said, you know what, I need to be with my team today. And I rescheduled those meetings. So I think you're right. It's the radar, but then it's also realizing that you don't want the radar to get to such a high alert level. <laughs> you really want to recalibrate when it's at a very good <laughs> level to make sure that you're, that everybody's getting, you know, the parts of you that are, that are needed. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, well, I feel like you alluded to this a little bit in your intro. And I one of the things that I love, love, love on this podcast is hearing like the full version of the story of how you got to be where you are today. Um, and so if you'll indulge us, I would love to hear like some of the twists and turns of how you came to have like this beautiful portfolio of things that are on your plate. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that term. I love that portfolio of things. I've got to use that. <laughs> um, I think I started super conventional. Like when I really look back, I, so I'm in my mid thirties and I, I look back at those kind of formidable years right out of college where, you know, I went to school for journalism. I think I literally thought I was going to be like an editor of the New Yorker. <laughs> oh I was gosh. a magazine. I think, I think this <laughs> podcast is the, like, we all wanted to be magazine editors when we oh were my in college. Gosh. Like, uh, support group because that is hilarious and now and now we do podcasts and we change the world <laughs> totally that on a different hilarious. lever but <laughs> I love that that is so funny I yeah like I went to school and majored in magazine journalism which I find hilarious because I guarantee you no one could ever major in that anymore but um I think I I was a storyteller right like I always loved writing I love telling stories I love anything that uses my communication strengths so when I graduated it was of course 2009 <laughs> it's like the worst time to graduate yeah we all need to start a club for that <laughs> okay great because I'm still processing <laughs> I think a lot of us are <laughs> yeah so, so you get it. And oh my God, it was just such a crazy time. And I'll never forget like getting that first job at a hyper local newspaper. And I was like the cub reporter. And, you know, back then I was super linear in how I thought about my career because we were taught to do all of those things. We were taught to get your entry level job and like pay your dues and have your first like one year negotiation. And I just kept checking off like all of those things. I, I always laugh at this moment where I met with my editor at like a library because I wanted to negotiate my salary. It was the first time I was ever negotiating. I was so <laughs> nervous. I had been there a year, which, you know, back then you have to be at a place a year because that's what we're taught. And I was like ready with my PowerPoint presentation that I printed out for him talking about why I deserved like a 5% raise on God knows how low the salary was at the time. And I think like these early years just reminded me, like I got really good at playing the game that we were all taught to play. Like I... I could see the way you're supposed to progress your career where you pay dues, you make your way up. And then the minute you get that first opportunity, you say yes, even when everything's telling you run the other way because it puts your career on the map. And I had that moment. Like I had ended up stumbling into marketing a few years after being a newspaper reporter. I think that's also a logical like next step from the magazine woes and the newspaper woes where you think, okay, well, I can be a marketer because I'll keep writing and I'll just tell stories as a marketer. And I always think that was such a pivotal moment because it was the first time in my career where I had now a job in an industry that I had never taken a single college class in. So this, this began kind of my unpacking period, I think, of realizing like, wait a minute, were we taught lies? <laughs> were we taught that like <laughs> we can't change careers and that like we have to, you know, pick a major when we're 18 years old? And all of this kind of started rattling through my head. And I think where it really kind of culminated for me was when I got that first leadership opportunity. I was 25 at the time and a media company that I had worked with previously came back to me to say, will you come and start a content marketing agency within our 40-year parent company? And will you hire your own team and launch all of our products and our services? And I'm like, do you guys know I'm four years out of college? <laughs> I barely know what I'm doing. But I was like, oh my God, like opportunities like this do not happen. And, you know, I was promised all the things we were taught, which was the fancy title, the big salary, the office next to the CEO, my first opportunity to hire an entire team. And I'll never forget, like I said, yes, shaking in my boots. That was my first, I think, experience with just any fear of like, can I do this? And will I be enough? And 
had I not done that, I wouldn't be talking to you today. Like that was that moment I look back on and think it started my whole career for me. I ended up spending three years building, you know, a content marketing agency. It was my first chance of entrepreneurship, but on someone else's, you know, within someone else's walls. So it was almost like this MBA program where I was getting, you know, a chance to be a leader and build products and services. And I, I loved it. And I think that, you know, fast forward a few years later, I kind of kept following that pattern of joining companies where I could build, where I could grow. And so I never joined to maintain. I always joined to take them to the next level, whether it was the next level of their marketing strategy or their service portfolio expansion. I was, you know, kind of drawn to this notion of intrapreneurship for other businesses, which I think stoked the fire of, well, wait a minute, I should be an entrepreneur too. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, I've kind of been doing this with like a a little bit more safety for a minute. (laughs) Yeah. And I I think like the story when I look at least on these kind of first, you know, 15 years, so to speak, has been, you know, fighting this current of not just chasing things I was taught to chase because that was the earlier part and now starting to chase based on choice and things that I actually want. And that feels super freeing. Like as an example, I know with myself, I don't ever want to go work for a big organization like a Google or Facebook. Like I am not heart drawn to organizations where you're a number. Um, My passion is startup or mid market where like that impact can be felt immediately. And that's something that I now know about myself that the world tells you, you shouldn't chase. The world tells you, go get the big logo and claim that you work for them. So (laughs) it's been fun to kind of like renegotiate my beliefs with how we were taught to accelerate our careers. And I think that's why probably my worlds integrate really powerfully for me because I'm, I'm modeling and teaching in the work I do with Nexus and Dordi, the very construct that I now believe in and what I'm able to, you know, actually live out. And it, it just feels more fun to be honest, to say, screw the rules. Like, like, let's build our careers on our choice by our rules before everyone told us how we were supposed to build them. Absolutely. Well, I love that so much. And I think, I mean, for so many of us who graduated when we did, there, there were like were rules, but like everything was broken. (laughs) Like it was was so clear to me, even at, you know, 21 that, you know, I was told like, oh, you just get a college degree. And then like, it doesn't really matter. I was taught like, it doesn't really matter what your major is, but like someone's going to hand you a full-time job with benefits. And that was not true. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Definitely not in 2009. (laughs) No. And so then it is like how, like, you know, how do we write our own rules and how do we think creatively about our careers? Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's so interesting. Like I, I've been talking about this with so many people recently that the the things that we were taught and that are so deeply ingrained, we were taught that we all want the same things, which we know is not true, but yet then we all went and chased the same things. Like we were taught to chase the hierarchy and the org chart and get to the top. And I loved when all those articles started coming out where they were normalizing the fact that, you know, not everybody wants to be like a chief marketing officer. Like some people just want to be a marketing director. <laughs> That's where they want to take their career. And I loved that like there was this awakening a few years ago that we don't all want the same things. So we need to stop progressing our careers as if we are all wired the same, as if we all our values, you know, motivated the same way. We're we're very complicated people. <laughs> we change our minds a lot, our passions change change, our interests change. And because of the new landscape, we get to change our mind way more than we did before and have more opportunity than we did before. We really do. And I mean, I, I, it's funny that you say that this um, movement a few years ago, because I, I don't know that I was tapped into that moment. But I think the thing that I have been following with a lot of interest in the past few months is this idea of like the rise of the age, like the anti-ambition age. Yes. And all of these like women uh-huh. in particular, but not exclusively women who are being offered. And I've had conversations with friends and clients like who have directly had this experience of being offered more responsibility, of being offered like, you know, the big title, the big promotion, the the team, whatever the thing is, and actually sitting with themselves and being like, I kind of don't want it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Anti-hustle culture. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Like actually I really want to, I like kind of like the balance I've achieved right here. And like, what if I just enjoyed this? 
<laughs> right. Oh my God. And like what empowerment when we say no to things that we thought we were supposed to say yes to. And I love that example you gave. I was talking to two people recently that similar, like just turned down amazing executive roles and organizations because they did a little gut check with themselves to realize that they just keep saying yes to the same thing over and over again. And then once the honeymoon period ends, it's the same feeling of burnout and exhaustion and a lack of fulfillment. And I'm like, there's a bravery that's happening now. Like I'm so excited about that of people just realizing I get to be me and I get to celebrate all parts of me. And that means saying no to things that don't serve me and saying yes to that, which lights me on fire and like being really intentional with that and not making excuses in terms of not being yourself, like owning that you can be yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, and, and having the opportunity in some organizations to like truly be your whole self. Um, and also yeah. learning to prioritize parts of yourself that are not your career after like for so many people for so long, like our careers were such a big part of our identity. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's so damaging when you think about how titles and industry have just been so ingrained in like our sense of being and belonging. And then if that's ever changed or taken away from us, it can be a really hard time to like hold the mirror up and figure out who you are without those things. And that's why I'm such an advocate for like whether you know, it's anyone that has hobbies or passions or board service or community or business, like do other things, like always make sure that your career and the way in which you want to kind of move forward in life has multiple parts of you so that your identity is fortified by who you are and not who somebody else told you that you are. Mm -hmm. I think that's such wise advice because I still remember after I left my first corporate job where I was for six years, I had the privilege of like taking some time and uh, traveling, but I remember distinctly tra- like being on this trip and thinking to myself, like, I'm, I feel like I'm remembering who I am. Yeah. Right. And I didn't oh realize I had forgotten. <laughs> yes. Yes. There is a part of, um, so my, my door deep program, which is a small group program. It, it focuses on really a lot of what we're talking about, like finding invisible career options. And one of the parts of my methodology talks about reclaiming your archetype, which is everything you just said. And it's centered around this notion of we start borrowing other people's archetypes. Like we literally progress our careers based on how other people have progressed it. We sometimes wear the costumes and clothing of other people because we were told like that's who we're supposed to be. And part of how we start to see invisible options and options that are most in tune to who we are is we have to remember who we are to your point. Like we have to remember before all these things were told to us and like doled upon us, what do we actually care about? What did we actually want to chase? Because so much of what we're chasing, they're not our beliefs. They're just beliefs that we were told we were supposed to uphold. And I think one of the most exciting things that comes is remembering who you were, exactly as you said, and and then figuring out what you want to do with that. Because mm-hmm. that's the fun part. <laughs> totally. Uh, yes, I love that. And I feel like I've been like trying to exercise self-control and not just jumping into door D immediately. But yeah. <laughs> brought it up again. Um, <laughs> I would love to talk a little bit more about Door D. Um, and, and I would, I actually, because I, I know the answer to this and I think it's really interesting. Um, can you tell us like where Door D came from? Um, and then would love to hear like what a Door D moment is. Yeah. So I was speaking at a keynote. I was doing a keynote conference. I think it was four years ago, almost to this day, uh, which feels like another (laughs) lifetime with the last few years. But I remember I was talking about the tenets of new age leadership, which was kind of, you know, based on all the things that we've been talking about in my work through Nexus. And so funny how we find things because when I was preparing my keynote, the concept of door D just came to me. And I, I wish I could say like I agonized over it, but like suddenly there the concept was in my mind. And for me, this concept was that we are so often at forks in the road. We're at, you know, critical moments in our career where we have to make a choice. And typically it's when our back's against a wall. And the way that I thought about it at the time was there's always door A, which is stay the course. So a lot of times your fork in the road is you don't love your job anymore or something is just, you know, not sitting well with you. And door A is like, oh, I'll do it in another few months, right? Like 
I'll make it work. And then door B is, I'll get a new job. I'm going to leave it behind. And then I thought, sometimes there's a door C. Like very rarely do I think that there's another kind of parallel pathway, but it's there if you look. And typically it's still very conventional. It might be get a lateral career move in the company that gets you into a completely different department. Or if you're an entrepreneur, launch three service offerings at the same time because you can't make up your mind. But what hit me is I feel like there's never in our kind of like cognitive consciousness a door D, which is the wild and the daring and the thing that no one says out loud because it doesn't even make sense to them yet, but that it's the thing that they actually want most with their career and their leadership. And it's the thing that they are most kind of like waking up in the middle of the night thinking about and they're daydreaming about it. But because no one has taken that path or they haven't seen others, they don't know what to do with it. (laughs) So it kind of stays in like this invisible curtain. And you know, when I gave this speech at the conference, Door D was like a 10 minute part of a one hour keynote. And my point to the the people in the room was, you know, new age leaders are going to choose Door D more than they choose any other door. Because what Door D represents is their innermost desire for what they want next. And I'll never forget, there was like a line out the door after the keynote and everyone wanted to know from me, how do I find door D? And I'm laughing by the way myself because I'm like, I wish I could tell you. I kind of just thought this was a cool idea and metaphor. And I'm like, holy, oh my God, I got to do something with this. So I... I began my work and my study on realizing that I had taken my own door Ds of optionality like over and over again and creating these really kind of different career pathways for myself. So I spent the last four years building the body of work of like how I would teach people to see invisible doors and then launched my first cohort just a few short weeks ago, which was like, oh my God, I mean, you know, when you, you know, actually launch the things that are in your heart, like it's so, you can't even describe it. It's like, it takes on another life than even how you pictured it. And now this is a huge passion of mine is I want to help as many people as I can see their door D's because I think four years ago, the business world was just starting to be ready for these door D's. And now I think the business world is like, I only want door D's. So I'm trying to help people realize like, if we don't do this work now of rewiring our operating model to see beyond conventional pathways that we were taught to see, we're actually going to get left behind. Like it's not even going to be about the fact that we're still choosing safety and security. I think it's actually going to be that we are missing opportunity because too many people around us are going to choose the daring and the emergent. Yeah. I mean, I love that. I could not agree more. And what's pinging in my brain right now is the extent to which when we think about some of the huge, I mean, to get kind of meta and like macro on this, but when you Mm -hmm. think about some of the huge challenges that are facing society today, we need Dordi to address them. Right, because mm, like staying, yeah, I'm like staying the <laughs> staying the course is like not really an option, and like using the same kind of thinking to do something slightly different, not really the best option. Like we truly need like a new approach. Uh, I think you know, in in painting the vision and creating the future we want to see, um, and I think that's so cool that you're helping people like in, on an individual level identify these moments for themselves. Well, thank thank you so much for saying that. It's I I think what's so powerful right now is this notion that we have choice, as we've said. And like there is a kind of perfect storm that has happened in the last few years through the, you know, tumultuous times and the trauma and the hardship. Like there is now opportunity. And we saw things that we can't unsee. And we've also you know, witness this kind of empowerment of an era of individual choice and people rallying behind that. So I think what I'm most hopeful for moving forward is that as leaders and individuals, we say we don't have to keep playing someone else's game. And in fact, that game is really harmful. It was set by men. It was set by a lot of people that wanted to uphold hierarchy and patriarchy and sexism and racism and all of it. And that if we keep following these pathways, we uphold those systems versus saying, what do we want? And how do we want to curate our life on our terms, knowing that the doors are now, you know, flinging open at at a greater pace than they ever have before. So what I also try to remind people is no one is meant to understand your door D and you have multiple door Ds, like you're going to keep being able to take them over and over. And part of normalizing your door D is just starting to talk about it and say it because people aren't going to understand it. That's when you know you found a door D is when you don't understand it and when people around you don't, because that means you're taking a divergent pathway that really serves you. 
Mm hmm. So if so, how if someone's listening right now and they're like, I think I like I think I might be having a door D moment. Like, how do I know if I'm having a door D moment? What would you? We gotta love that question. (laughs) (laughs) I think a door D moment is you're starting to think about where you're taking your career or your leadership next, and it feels both dreamy and divine and delicious and also so scary (laughs) because you can't recall past experiences with it. Like it feels like it's taking you away from something that you were used to building. And I would say anytime you get kind of these like Doherty nudges of like, what's knocking? What's over there? Just pause, like take a Doherty pause to say, what am I feeling in this moment? Because a lot of times the heart and the mind and the body are sending things to you that we just ignore, but that there's a physicality that happens with the door nudge. Like there is something happening in your body typically when you think about this other option that feels very different. And again, it's that kind of mixture of unbridled excitement and like, oh my God, what, what would that mean? <laughs> um, and a lot of times door show up as the the blocker. So you'll see an option and say, well, I couldn't do that. Or it would mean starting over. Or, well, I wouldn't be able to make money if I did that. So like whenever those questions or those statements start popping up, it's typically a sign that you've stumbled upon something invisible because your mind is trying to get you back to door A and door B. Like that's how we were wired was to choose convention and choose the pathways that we've seen. Uh, I love it. I, I love like looking at those blockers as like an invitation to, to go deeper. <laughs> to- well, they're, they're everywhere. It's, you know, it's funny, like we, and this is why I love randomly colliding with people like you and, you know, the people that are in my, my world is one of the biggest ways you see door D is you have to be around disruptive thinkers because then when you say your door D out loud, they're like, oh, let me 10X your door D for you. <laughs> like, and so that, and that's like, I have so many amazing people in my life that do that for me. And I love when they challenge my methodology back at me and they're like, I see your door D and I raise you another door D. And I'm like, okay, now we're cooking here. So I would also say like our communities matter and the people around us that are holding our dreams and holding our fears, they're either going to reinforce safety out of love and out of care. They're not meaning to do it in a bad way. But if we're not careful and we have people that keep us at the fork in the road the way we were taught, we don't get out of our own way. So that's why we need these different types of thinkers around us that hear these dreams and really create space for it to not just be something we say, but something that we can act on eventually. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And and I think the the, the blockers, like as you alluded to, like they can be people, <laughs> like, you know, other yes. people reacting to. I think like the the counterpoint of the the people who believe in possibility and who 10X your door D are the people who are like, what do you mean? <laughs> yes, they're like, tell me more. <laughs> My, uh, our, our mutual contact, Hannah, she's, I always give her credit. I'm like, I think she made Dordi a verb or I don't know what the grammar <laughs> is, but I'll never forget years ago when I first told her the idea, it became part of like our routine girls catch up where, you know, we would talk about options and she'd always say, well, that's nice, but like, let's Dordi it. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, what does that mean? <laughs> uh, so fun. So fun. Well, and I, I feel like especially like with the, the Hannah shout out, which we now have like three of and I love it. Um, <laughs> she introduced us during your 30 coffee chats and 30 days challenge, um, which was such a fun collision. Um, so fun. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I'm suspecting now having like gotten this deep into our conversation that in some ways uh, doing that may have been a Doherty moment and experiment for you, but I'm curious, like, you know, what did inspire you to do the 30 coffee shots in 30 days? Um, and what did you learn from that experience? Oh, it was so fun. It was, you are so right. There was, I had a big Doherty blocker, which was not launching Doherty. <laughs> So here, here I was, I had built my whole program. I was like in my mind ready to launch it, but I wasn't launching it. And I knew I had to jolt my operating system. And part of the ways that I jolt my operating system is I like to create random collisions with people that I can just kind of connect with and hear their perspectives. And I think what it really did for me was, was a few things, but the first was that it gave me that reminder that I cannot not birth door D. Like it, <laughs> I was on these calls with total strangers and, and I made a rule like these were not sales calls. Nobody could pitch each other as you know, we were just talking about life and 
a lot of our talks about life just led to naturally, like, what are you working on? What are you excited about these days? And I practiced it. Like I practiced saying to total strangers what I was working on. And what was so powerful was strangers would look back at me on the Zoom, the Zoom room and say, you are sparkling right now. Like you need to do this. And I thought, this is insane. Like if strangers can pick this up in me, I have to birth it. And I think that that's what the 30-day challenge was, is I wanted to rock my system. I believed I was going to meet people that were going to literally change my life. And I went in with that belief. I went in with the belief that 30 minutes could change my life. And and it has. Like I've met, like you, the most amazing people. I've met at least two other people that were actually speakers at my Door Deep program. Like it's wild. And then I have this whole book idea (laughs) that came from it. So um, I don't know. I just, I love the notion of us being able to enact the things in our life that we need versus waiting for others to create that space for us. So I tend to pay attention to nudges I get that say, oh, I got to shock myself a little bit. Like we're ready to do something a little bit daring and different. Um, and it was fun. Like I can't wait to do it again. I'm feeling another nudge. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. Um, <laughs> like nudge accepted. It sounds like. <laughs> yep. So if you're out there, get ready. It might be coming for you. <laughs> Um, and you, the answer and no answer is totally fine, but you mentioned book idea. Um, is there anything more on that that you feel comfortable sharing at this point in time? Oh, wow. What a question. I, you know, it's funny. I, I've had a couple book ideas <laughs> over time, but, but something I've been leaning into recently is there is something about the power of connection that I just continue to be like blown away by. And especially now that connection does not have to have physicality attached to it. And that's been really helpable for me as, you know, meeting all these strangers online, like some of them I told my biggest dreams to, and they told me their biggest dreams. And we are now thought partners and we are people that talk all the time. And I don't know that I'll ever meet them in person. And somehow like they're in my top, you know, circle of influence now. So I don't know, I've been toying with something in this notion of connection and that it's so much bigger than we think it is. And that it holds for us so many opportunities that I don't think we're aware of if we really leaned into the power of connection. So one of many ideas, but I will definitely keep you posted. (laughs) Uh, I love it. And I honestly, I'm like, if you want to write a book just about Door D, like I can literally (laughs) see the cover in my brain right now. (laughs) Yes. I did have a book title originally that was called like, see, choose, and it was called like door D, see it, choose it, enter it. <laughs> so there's definitely some sort of door D vibes or, or door D book that will be, be birthed at some point. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. Well, and I'm curious, you're like into the first cohort of door D. Um, yeah. How is it going so far? Oh my God. It, I'm never going to forget this first co- cohort. Like I, these women are giving me more than I think I'm giving them just in terms of they're showing up with such a bravery and openness that I don't think I realize you need to do the door D work. Like you have to really put full trust into the container, the people that are in your cohort that you are going to lean into figuring out your blockers, the parts of you that you forgot, the things that you want to say out loud that you've never told another soul. So it's very emotional. Like there's a lot of people saying things that they've never heard out loud that they that they've said, and there's a lot of hard questions that they're having to ask themselves in terms of looking back at past choices and why they made those choices. So. I'm blown away by this first group. I mean, this first group is the reason that I didn't want to wait to to launch the second cohort. And I think what they've reminded me is that this is work that can come from either kind of a, a source of moving away from pain, meaning you are exhausted, you're ready for something different, you want to take a stance, but it can also come from a desire to move towards gain where everything's going, right? But you want more door Ds and you mm. want more options. And like, that was really cool. I didn't really know which side was going to attract people more. And I love that we have both sides there because they're balancing each other out and they're reminding each other in the cohort that we don't just choose door D in a moment in time. We need to fundamentally rewire how we think about career progressions that door Ds are always available to us moving forward. Mm, That's so interesting. And yeah, I mean, I feel you uh, just in a similar vein, like having just uh, wrapped the first cohort of the Girls Club Mastermind, it was like, 
so trans so transformational for me and so emotional for me to just be so blown away by how women can show up for themselves and for each other oh my god it's breathtaking (laughs) really it really is and I think one thing I've been noticing um so far in 2022 that's really interesting is that even in spite of how hard many of these like things going on in the bigger world are and how hard some of the things happening in people's individual lives are it had there has been like I feel and maybe this could totally just be like a small n (laughs) but like observation but it seems like I've experienced a lot more people thinking about what's next for them from a place of abundance and from a place of like anything is possible what do I want um which is so cool. And it honestly, I feel like it feels like a shift in the collective from, from where we were, for example, in like 2020. It's beautiful. I totally agree. And I think that people, people saw, you know, we lived through just such hardship. Like I think it also rocked us at our core that we, we really shouldn't spend any minute not, you know, moving towards that, which will make us happier or more fulfilled. And, and sometimes we have to take small steps. Like that's part of what I also remind people in Dordie is not every Dordie is like this cataclysmic Dordie. <laughs> like sometimes a Dordie is literally, as we said, just saying no to another option that's not going to serve you. And I hope that as we kind of enter this, this, you know, next era here, we, we keep the lessons that were learned and the perspectives gained because they were powerful and they were deeply profound in terms of where we wanted to head next. And, and now it's about choice. It's about, as you know, you said, do we choose to see it through a lens of abundance? Do we make sure that we're channeling, you know, the energy and the, the ways in which we want to advance or do we continue to play it as is? And, and I'm excited to see so many people leaning into that power of choice. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. And I'm curious, you know, in that vein, um, what is your take on what the future of work may look like? Like, what do you, what's in your crystal ball? <laughs> I always love looking into, the, it's fun, right? Looking into the crystal ball. I mean, I, I think I look at a couple like really pivotal moments a few years back where, you know, the concept of like the four day work week was first coming up and we were starting to hear about the surge of entrepreneurship or psychological safety, like all these things were starting to bubble. And then, you know, you blink a year later, like they became normalized. So the pace of change is the fastest it will, it's only going to get faster. Right. And that's exciting because that means the disruption is here. It's going to keep coming. And I think a big thing that we're going to see moving forward are people saying, I want to have a career that's made up of a couple different things, like going back to optionality, as we said. Mm, and the portfolio I think, I think, career. Yeah, the portfolio career. Exactly. Because I think people are going to realize like, this is how I can have, you know, multiple identities that really, you know, are important to me. I can diversify my income streams, which is also super important, and that they can curate a life based on hours they want to work, where they want to work, and how they want to work. So I think it's going to become way more normal to be meeting, you know, people that do like five things or four things. And I think we're going to get away from these, you know, kind of employer tenures where you're there for the, you know, the next 20 years. So you know, everything from that to the nonlinear career being celebrated to people, you know, literally going from being entrepreneurs to working back in corporate America as often as they want. Like, again, period of change. Like, we get to change over and over. And all of these old rules of like, you know, staying at a place for a certain amount of years or running your business for a certain amount of years, they're all gone. Like, I really think that's the future of work. Mm. Yeah, I, I love that. And I feel like I'm seeing that. I Even in like just some of the entrepreneurs that I've been friends with over the past couple of years, have watched quite a few people in the past nine months go back in-house for various reasons. And just like, yeah. it's not like a forever thing. It's just what's right. next? <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, I think also like this acceptance that we will all build careers differently. So like if you want to go work for a company for 20 years, that's awesome too, right? Like I think it's going to be this period of owning who you are, how you want to curate your career, and let's celebrate all of those diversity of career pathways because the the harm would be us all now chasing the same things again, just with like a different you know name to it. Um, and I'm excited to see this kind of period of individualization where we can really honor all of the ways that people want to advance and not judge them anymore. Mm-hmm. So interesting. I I would love to see that come to pass. 
Yes. <laughs> me too. Me too. Um, well, I love I mean, obviously I could talk, I feel like I could talk to you for hours. All day. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'd love to ask you just a few more kind of like quick hit questions before we wrap up. Um, so this is one of my favorite questions to ask people and you can like totally pick any age or just give like generic younger self advice. But if you could give your younger self some words of wisdom, what would you tell her? Oh, it's such a good question. Um, I think I would probably pick, I went to high school. I don't know why I just went to high school <laughs> and I loved, I loved high school by the way, but I think I would tell her stumble a little bit more, like be okay with that. Um, I was such a perfectionist and it carry, it's still something I'm battling constantly, but it really kind of formed in those early years. So I think I'd say like, don't study for the test. <laughs> it's okay if you don't get a good grade or like show up late to dance team practice. Like all of these little things that I think could have just softened me a little bit back then. Um, because it is okay to be five minutes late. Like the world is not going to end. <laughs> so I think I would have softened those areas a little bit. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'm laughing a little bit because not too long ago, I had a, a conversation with a woman who was in between undergrad and, and signed a job, has a job, um, very adult, full-time job starting this fall, who's like thinking about how to make the most of her summer before starting the full-time job. And was mm. like, she was thinking about internships and like trainings and certifications. And I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, this is not the conversation that you want to have, but I don't think you should do any of those things. I think you should go have fun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yep. Do nothing. Like, you have the rest of your life to work and to collect all the yeah. things and like, go have I love that. fun. It's the best advice. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know how much she appreciated it. I guess right. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Because I still That's remember awesome. someone like a, a VP telling me that um, in my first oh, yeah. job, and I could not process. I think I like took a no. three week break, and I was like, "I'm back." <laughs> yes. Yep. I love that. We all need a little bit more fun. Totally. Totally. Um, well, the other question I love asking everyone is, uh, and I could send you a picture. My desk is covered in inspirational post-it notes. I'm a crazy person. Um, but one day, and actually someone suggested the other day, maybe it will be next March for like International Women's Month. Um, I'm going to print a deck of like cards or post-its with all of the amazing quotes and reminders that the women in my world also have on their desks. Mm, I love that. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I love it too. Um, and I feel like it needs to be a thing. So if you get, if you get a post-it or you get a couple post-its, what would you want on the Carrie Majewski inspirational post-it note? Oh my gosh. I, you know, it's funny. I'm pulling up my phone right now because I collect like quotes and inspiration just like you. And something that really hit me the other day that I loved was it was just a very simple statement. It said, some days we rise and other days we rest. And I thought, oh my God, I need to do that more <laughs> because there are days where I feel like I am like in the ring and I'm ready to like go into battle to like fight the business world or <laughs> whatever I need to do that day. And then there are days where I just want to watch hours of television. <laughs> so I'm also trying to like get this balance and, and just like a calmness in, in my world a little bit that um, it's that anti-hustle culture, as you said, of like, it's okay to lose hours doing nothing. <laughs> so I've been trying to think about what days do I want to rise and what days do I want to rest? And, and it's okay. I get to do both. Mm, you get to do both. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Easier said than done, but yes. Yes, it's so many. I mean, so many women in my world, so many women on this podcast. I can't tell you how many of these and how many of the ones that I'm literally looking at right now <laughs> are are about that. Are about like some version of like you don't have to be on all the time. <laughs> like, yes, there yep. is time. Be patient. There is time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, I love it. Um, well, thank you so much. I may add that to my collection. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yep, I'll send it right over. <laughs> Please do. I like literally can't find a blank post-it to write it on at the moment, but it's, <laughs> it's going up. Um, <laughs> well, for people who are listening who are as obsessed with you as I am, um, where <laughs> is the best place for them to find you or keep in touch with you and follow along? 
Oh my gosh. Well, likewise with you. <laughs> um, you can connect with me on, on LinkedIn. That's a great place for us to personally connect. But um, in terms of following my leadership work, going to wilnexus.com and that's where you can find all the things with Nexus and Door D. Um, and I clearly love getting coffee with random strangers on Zoom. So always up for that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, well, we'll definitely include the links to both of those in the show notes. Um, and thank you so much, Carrie, for coming on the podcast. It has been such a treat. Oh my God. Thank you, Liz. I could do this all day with you. <laughs> this was such an honor. I'm delighted <laughs> to have been able to spend time with you. Thank you. The feeling is so mutual. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. Please rate and review the Women Changing the World podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe for future episodes. You can find me on Instagram. My handle is liz.best, that's L-I-S dot B-E-S-T, or you can find me on LinkedIn by searching my name, Liz Best. Join my mail list by visiting elizabethbest.com slash monthly meditation, and you'll receive all the latest updates on events, retreats, and opportunities to work with me plus a monthly love note from my heart to your inbox. I am so excited to keep in touch and I'll see you in the next episode.